Is Dawn of the Nugget a vegan game changer? Has Denmark's plant-based roadmap been discarded already? And why are we all getting excited about Nigel Farage? Anyway, that's enough of the falafel. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And this is episode 16 of Vegan Week. Thanks for joining us for episode 16 of Vegan Week, produced in partnership with Fire and Flow Coffee. If you love great coffee, want to spend your money with vegan businesses and love a cheeky discount, head over to fireandflowcoffee.co.uk, enter Falafel10, that's Falafel10, at the checkouts to get a sweet 10% off your order. I'm joined today by Alex for her first time on the show. Alex, welcome. Thanks, Anthony. I'm really excited to be here talking all things vegan news and Chicken Run. Yes, if you are joining us to hear our review of Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, stay tuned as this will form our main discussion topic for the episode and it's in the second half of today's show. Yes, but in every episode of Vegan Week, we always make the first section of our show a rundown and commentary of our top 10 vegan news stories from the week, or in this case, from the last two weeks. Right, enough of the falafel. Let's do it. So, 10 stories from the last fortnight, Alex. Which one should we start with? Well, a lovely positive story regarding next year's Olympics from Animal Reader, Paris 2024 Olympic Games to feature a 60% meat-free menu. So, just before Christmas, Paris 2024 organisers announced that 60% of the food served during the Games will be meat-free. The decision aims to reduce the carbon footprint of the event and promote healthier eating options. During a recent presentation in Paris, Garden Gourmet chef Vincent Gilo showcased some of the vegetarian meals of the Olympics. He introduced a vegetarian salad composed of quinoa and a medley of vegetables accompanied by a tahini sauce and falafels. Not falafels. Yeah. It's vegan, so this is very good for everything related to a balanced diet for health too, Gilo explained. It's lighter for everything related to sport. It's not heavy and can fit into the diet of athletes. Paris 2024 President Tony Estonge emphasised the importance of reducing the event's carbon footprint. He urged both participants and attendees to use public transportation to reach the venues and to explore the plant-based options available. It's also our responsibility to educate the people who will be engaged in Paris 2024, Estonge said. It's a collective duty now to change our habits and definitely to reduce our carbon footprint. So, when you buy food in the venue, you should also try the vegan food that is served because, in terms of taste, it's very good. The culinary offerings at Paris 2024 will include meat-free burgers, quinoa salads and falafels, among other vegetarian delights. Anthony, sounds pretty promising, doesn't it? It does sound promising. It, oh, there's just part of me that, that feels a bit sceptical and thinks that, not that they're greenwashing, but they're saying this because they have to say it, rather than they've decided, oh, let's just make 60% of our food plant-based. They're just doing it to avoid a bit of backlash. Is that me being really grumpy? Um, I mean, you are being grumpy, but I also think you're being realistic, unfortunately. Oh, concessions like McDonald's still there? Well, yeah, I, I, I remember hearing several Olympics ago, loads of athletes saying, oh, on, on our days off, we'd, we'd just go to McDonald's and, and eat there. So I'm not 
I'm not sure whether this means just like the official, the official vendors will be having menus that are 60% plant-based or they surely aren't going to make McDonald's have 60% of their menu plant-based. It's just going to be the official places, surely. Yeah, I think so. There's also a question as to whether the the, the story says 60% of the food served will be vegan. I don't think they can do that, surely. Are they going to... If, if they get to 59%, are they going to stop serving meat until a few more people order plant-based? Surely they mean their menus are going to be 60% plant-based. In a, If we look at it in a positive way, it might encourage people to try some vegetarian things. Yeah, it might, but I'm saying that the headline... Sorry, we've been saying plant-based is it's meat-free, vegetarian. Like, you can't say that 60% of the food served is going to be vegetarian just by virtue of the fact that the menu is 60% vegetarian. No, I know. So that so that is misleading. That And that partly is what makes me think it's a little bit of greenwashing. It's definitely good that they feel they have to say things like this and that they're worried about a backlash. Um, and I'd rather those numbers were there than, you know, 90% meat on a menu. But I feel a little, a little sceptical about this one. But we'll take it. Another victory, I think, from the Daily Mail. Plant-based food giant Oatly wins four-year court battle against Dairy UK to keep the word milk on its vegan packaging. Oatly was granted a trademark for the slogan post-milk generation in 2019. This decision was rescinded after complaints from the Dairy Trade Association. However, after a legal battle, High Court Judge Mr Justice Richard Smith has this week sided with Oatly and they have now won the right to use the word milk on the packaging of its products. Dairy UK had argued that it was unlawful to use the term milk in a trademark in relation to products that are not mammary secretions. Mm. However, High Court Judge Mr Justice Richard Smith ruled that the trademark is valid for use on Oatly products, rejecting that the word milk should be banned in any circumstances on non milk food packaging. Now, Oatly has been allowed to use the slogan post-milk generation on t-shirts since January, but a high court decision means it can now be used on its oat-based drink as well. He said that average customers would view products bearing Oatly's slogan as for consumers who no longer consume dairy milk, and that it cannot be said that it claims, suggests or implies that their products marketed in conjunction with it are dairy products. Now, granting Oatly victory in their appeal against the officer's decision, the judge said that having found that the public were unlikely to be deceived by the trademark, they should have it allowed to be used on food and drink. Sounds to me, Alex, like Oatly have just got some very good lawyers. Yeah, it does sound like that. So, because it's not directly advertising it as being milk, that's been their way around it? I assume so. I mean, you you see other alternatives labelled as soya milk or almond milk and I guess Oatly doesn't maybe it just doesn't say oat milk anywhere and it says Oatly instead that's the only thing I could think of they're not saying it's milk inside whereas you could argue that soya milk is kind of saying it's a type of dairy milk called soya milk I guess I'm not very up to date with the sort of people disagreeing with things being called milk or sausage and stuff so uh, are dairy is Dairy UK going against other brands? No, I, I don't think so. I, I think there's been a lot of backlash. It tends to be like country to country. They will say different things against different products and, and say, well, you can't do this, you can't do that. And that's where the pressure is going. 
Um, I think this particular case, Oatly is fighting back against a general judgment. I think Dairy UK has put forward this general consensus judgment and Oatly are fighting back against it, basically. Well, you know what? Go Oatly and they should be need to not be walked all over yeah i mean that's my take on it is that actually most most vegan businesses and plant-based businesses are small businesses and they can easily be scared or they can't afford like really expensive lawyers or they they don't want to take the risk on fighting back i'm certainly not saying they're cowardly i think it comes down to resources and risk management but i think in oatley's case they probably got the money to to fight back against it i do wonder as well whether it's like I say, partly because of their branding, because their their product is called Oatly, so the word milk doesn't appear in it. I, I don't know whether other plant milks like soy and almond, coconut, if they can have something. I mean, soyly doesn't sound particularly tasty, does it? It sounds like a quite a, quite an earthy drink. But maybe that's the way to go for these companies: is come up with a brand name that doesn't have the word milk, and then then you're good to go. It's so well known as being Oatly as well. Like if I go to a cafe, they'll say, do you want Oatly? And people will say, do you want Oatly? Whereas for Alpro, for example, they have they have Alpro soy, Alpro oat. They have all of them, don't they? So it's harder for them. It is. Um, it's an interesting one because actually, I think if you go into Starbucks or Costa or whatever, they will call it oat milk. So like people are calling it oat milk. People are calling it soya milk. That so, like in in that sense, the dairy industry is fighting a losing battle, isn't it? Yes. What do you think that they will win? Do you think it will get to a point where we can't call it milk anymore? I mean, that there's there's an interesting question. I, d- I don't know. I, d- I really don't know. <laughs> I I really don't know. I think in a sense, it's almost a battle of wits. And I think the more companies like Oatly that fight back and say do you know what, screw you, we're not going to take this lying down. Because it's all intimidation, isn't it? I mean, really, like we're saying, it doesn't actually make a difference what a lawyer says, it's what people on the street are saying, and so long as people know where to get these things. Like, no one's confused, no matter what these industries say. No one's actually confused, which is what they claim in a lot of these cases. But um, like you say, good on Oatly for fighting back, and um, maybe we'll see a few more plant-based companies do the same. Well, either way, sounds like another positive story. Can we make it a hat-trick of positive stories to start the show, Alex? I'm afraid not. From the local DK, Alborg University Hospital drops vegan menu amid budget constraints. Austerity measures have led to a significant changes to Alborg University Hospital, where they have been tasked with finding substantial cost savings in 2024. Among these measures is the discontinuation of the purely plant-based diet option for patients. Economic considerations and concerns for patients' nutritional needs have prompted this decision, according to Eddie Hivard, Head of Meals and Nutrition at Alberg University Hospital. The Danish Vegetarian Association has expressed outrage over the removal of vegan menu and suggested that legal action may be pursued. The DVA's general secretary said, We absolutely cannot stand idly by as this completely insane decision is made. We can imagine scenarios where patients are forced to live on mashed potato because there are no other alternatives. 
Anthony, we thought that Denmark were the new global leaders of plant-based eating. What's going on? Well, I'm gutted because, as listeners will hear tomorrow, we've just done a pre-recorded show saying how brilliant Denmark is and how their their plant-based roadmap is one of the biggest vegan news stories of the year. So this is a bit of an own goal in that regard. Was your interpretation of this that the hospital was completely vegan and they've gone back on that? Or they're just saying they're not going to do vegan options anymore? Because I wasn't clear. No, I thought it's that they're getting rid of their plant-based menu. Right, okay. I mean, either way, it's not great, is it? So if it's the first thing, if they were completely vegan and now they're saying we're going back on it, that's ridiculous because that's not surely that's not going to save money. What, what vegan options are they buying in? It, it shouldn't be more expensive, should it? But if it's the latter and they had a plant-based menu for some patients, getting rid of that's not going to save... They want to save hundreds of millions of kroner, I think it is, in, in Denmark. Getting rid of a few vegan options isn't going to save them money. It doesn't, it doesn't really make sense, does it? Do we know if they're keeping a vegan option on the menu? No, they're just going to make the vegan patients starve. (laughs) That's what they're going to do. That's the main cost-saving exercise. I don't know is the answer. I mean, it is a problem in the UK as well, isn't it? I'm in the um, Vegan Hospitals UK kind of Facebook group. (laughs) The Vegan Hospital UK Facebook (laughs) group? That sounds like a corking group. (laughs) I don't know what to call it, but they will talk about on there like, how bad the vegan options are and everyone in the group help each, helps each other out bringing food in for each other which is so lovely but it it is a huge issue isn't it yeah it is and it, it, i mean the dva's general secretary didn't mince his words did he calling it a completely insane decision it seems a, a bit backward and it seems to be one of those things like it must just be that they're not they're not going to give you vegan food unless you ask for it. That, that's the only thing I can... Because they're not going to make vegan patients starve, are they? So it's just that they're not putting them forward anymore. And it just makes me think that they need more education on plant-based cooking because it shouldn't be more expensive. And there are ways of doing it so that you're not wasting food that's coming in. It's uh, that may, Maybe they need to take a leaf out of the, the New York hospitals book because they just serve plant-based foods, don't they, in, in New York hospitals. It, it definitely can be done. And they've said that it's based on concerns for patients' nutritional needs, which just seems really backwards because I feel like all the scientific evidence is pointing towards plant-based eating being very good for you. So. Well, it, it depends what they're feeding them. It, it sounds to me like whoever's behind their nutritional guidelines at the hospital doesn't really know what they're doing because if they're spending more money on plant-based foods, they're going about it wrong. And if they're serving a load of rubbish plant-based food, then yeah, you, you probably won't get the nutrition you need. But if, if you know what you're doing, we just need to send some chefs over there, <laughs> get some chefs in. It, it'll be fine. Either way, not great news from Denmark this week. Now, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but shall we go to Farming UK to cheer us up? Yes, let's. Good old Farming UK never lets us down. The headline reads, UK pig population at its lowest level since 2012. So the UK pig population stands at 4.68 million, representing a year-on-year decline of 10.3%. This is a loss of over half a million animals and is the smallest pig population recorded in the UK since 2012. A fall in the number of fattening pigs has driven the year-on-year decline in the total population. The breeding pig population 
has remained relatively stable. So that just in case you're unaware, breeding pigs are the ones used for breeding and the others are called fattening pigs, basically the, the ones that are, are just killed and don't have any children. Looking at the figures, Freya Shuttleworth, AHDB senior analyst, commented that this was partly due to the negative impact the summer 2022 heatwave had on fertility. She finished by saying, we do not expect to see the industry bouncing back to the height of 2021 in terms of pig numbers. Alex, I feel cautiously optimistic about this one. This this does seem to be evidence of what we're hoping is the case, is that, that people are eating less meat. So they're breeding fewer pigs then? Yeah, they are. And, and Freya whatever she's called, Shuttlecock, Shuttleworth, um, <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's saying that, oh, it's a big part of that is due to the, the summer heat wave in 2022. I think that's a load of rubbish. You're not telling me that if there was a demand for more bacon and pork, there wouldn't be more pigs being bred. Like they're artificially inseminated. Like even if the, the rate of fertility is lower in high temperatures, you'd just try and breed more, surely. It could be that, though, they're, they're, like the UK is reaching its demand in other ways, though, so maybe they're buying in more pork. They could be, but I can't, I can't see why. If I was in charge of UK pork production, there's no way, if demand was really high, there's no way that I would be doing anything other than trying to meet that demand. Like, I just think they don't want to say that demand's dropping. Like, they're not going to say that. It's the Agriculture and Horticultural Development Board. They're, they're, <laughs> not, they're not going to go, yeah, no one wants our products anymore. They're going to point to the weather. They're going to point to the cost of living crisis. They're going to point to anything other than the fact that not as many people want their product. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I mean, the bottom line is the numbers are dropping. So in a sense, we don't have to we don't have to be too concerned as to why. Obviously, we hope it's the demand dropping because then it can keep dropping. Whereas if the reason is that there was a heat wave, well, we don't want even more heat wave to, to stop it growing. Anyway, let's move on now because I think we have saved one of the most bizarre stories of the year until our final news episode, Alex. Yeah, from Animal Reader, Brazil prison uses geese to guard prisoners. You heard me correctly. So, apparently a prison in Brazil is using geese to prevent prisoners from escaping. You can watch the video via the link in our show notes. The, the birds, dubbed geese agents, patrol a green space between the prison's inside fence and main outer wall. <laughs> This is ridiculous. I can. We've both watched this video, and I can hear you suppressing the laughter as you read this because you're picturing the geese patrolling outside the prison. Doves say that the alertness of the geese make them excellent guard animals, even more so than dogs. Goose Pew Pew heads the small flock, leading fellow geese to oversee the premises. Marcus Roberto de Souza said caring for the flock of geese is more affordable than raising dogs and that the quiet location of the prison makes it a good option for his facility. He says, We have electronic surveillance, physical surveillance, surveillance through the criminal police on the wall and the guards, and finally, the surveillance of the geese, in this case, which have replaced the dogs. When it comes to São Pedro de Alcantara, I think the location itself is easy to monitor as the night is very quiet. Even during the day, as you can see, it's a very silent place, and at night even more so. I also think that the logistics of the unit and the way it was built, as you can see, favour this type of security with a flock of geese. Anthony, this sounds like one of the fake news stories you created for the Big Vegan Quiz episode. 
I just cannot understand why they're doing this. Like, is the law in Brazil that you need to have your prison patrolled by an animal? And they're saying, look, this location is so quiet. There's so much good surveillance. Like, we don't need the dogs. And then someone said, no, you've got to have something. You've got, fine, we'll have geese. What are the geese going to do? I don't understand. I just don't have anything to say. I just don't understand. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Like, if you were a prisoner inside there and they said, well, you thought the dogs were bad. Now we've got a bunch of geese in. Like, surely that's going to encourage you to try and escape. You've got past the cameras. You've got past the guns. You've got past the men. Over the barbed wire, the final bit, you've got some geese. What are you going to do? Also, I don't think I know anyone that hasn't been attacked by a goose. Have you been attacked by a goose? I've not been attacked by a goose. Oh, is it just me? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like I, I could I could escape a goose very easily. There's Oh you mean you mean you don't know anyone who's failed to escape from a goose when being attacked. Everyone you know is a goose attack survivor. I don't know anyone who has tried to escape somewhere and has been stopped by a goose. Though, to be fair, if I was walking down a canal towpath and there was a swan, I would go the other way. That sometimes happens in my local town. Oh, they've made a mistake that they should have got a flock of swans. But if there was a loose Alsatian on the canal towpath, I'd definitely go, go back. We're laughing about it. It is quite sad. It's sad for the geese because it's miserable. When you watch the video, they've just got this big green strip yes. of grass. That's that's their life. There's no pond. There's you know there's no freedom. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, whatever the reason that they've done this, it is not because geese are better than dogs or cheaper than dogs. There's some ridiculous reason that they must be doing this. Publicity or cost saving or or whatever. The geese are the victims, and it's bloody ridiculous. Because they either don't need an animal or they're going to get a rude awakening because everyone's going to escape their prison. The guy in charge is just going to go, oh, I really thought the geese were going to do the job fine. Poor geese. Right, let's try and move on to something more serious now. Yes, if we must. From the European Journal of Clinical Nutrition, Plant-Based Dietary Patterns and Risk of Insomnia, a Prospective Study. So a new study aimed to investigate if plant-based diets are associated with reduced insomnia risks in a cohort study design. 5,821 participants were created from 2007 to 2009 without insomnia were followed for about 10 years until 2018. A traditional classification model method, vegetarians versus non-vegetarians, and a healthful plant-based index were used to define adherence to plant-based dietary patterns. A total of 464 cases of insomnia were identified in the 55,000 person years of follow-up, so just under a 1% incidence rate. Insomnia risk was lower in vegetarians when compared to non-vegetarians. Male participants with the most plant-based diets were associated with a significantly lower risk of insomnia when compared to those in the lowest quintile, but no association between adherence to plant-based eating and insomnia in female participants was observed. So, in conclusion, Alex, you can eat what you want and it won't affect your sleep, but I need to be more careful. That seems to be what the study is saying. Like, do you, do you buy that? Honestly, this feels like a load of rubbish. Like, how many people have they got doing this? 55,500, well, people years, they called it. So they multiply the number of participants by the number of years. So uh, 5,500. 
And then they looked at what plants they ate. The percentage of their diet that was plant-based, yeah. It just seems like there's not... I'm not hearing any, like, actual evidence here. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, they're, they're saying that there was a difference between the vegetarians and the non-vegetarians, and men who were eating more plants had less insomnia, but women, there was no difference. I mean, it, it's saying there are differences, but it, it seems a, a little sketchy, perhaps. But what about every other aspect and element going on in their life? Like, we have no idea what's, what the other factors are in it. No, I mean, it's... I mean, I'm... Sounds like I'm defending the study. I'm equally sceptical <laughs> here. I'm just trying to sort of see things from their point of view. Like they're saying there's no statistical difference for the women, but the men, there was a significant difference. So a big enough difference that it, it suggests that there might be a cause. I can't think. Can you think of a reason why that could be? I can't think of why there's a difference between men and women because men and women aren't that different. No. That, that it, it should affect your insomnia. But then I'm only saying that with my scientific knowledge and, you know, my scientific knowledge has come from an age before this groundbreaking study about insomnia and plant-based eating. Um, I mean, the, the, the bottom line from my point of view is that it was no worse for people eating plant-based food. And that, that's always my approach with like health studies. I, I don't care if it's better to be vegan. I just want to know that it's not worse. Yeah, that's a nice approach, isn't it? Yeah, even if it was worse, I'd still be vegan. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just bloody minded. But is, is it fair to say we, um, we're a little sceptical about this study? But um, Only 8% of people recorded insomnia. No, 0.8%. Oh, 0.8% recorded insomnia across the board. So it's not a lot either way. Yeah, which when I looked it up online, on average, 10% of people have insomnia. So this sample size that they've, this sample group that they've got, seem to be having 10% less insomnia than the rest of the world. It's, it really doesn't seem to make a, a great deal of sense. But, they, you know, they've put 10 years into it and 5,500 people. So there's got to be something in it. Yeah, yeah, I, I shouldn't be so sceptical. Or maybe I should. I, and, and yet we both are, yeah. It's just the difference between men and women that's making me wonder. Maybe we need to research more on uh, on the difference between men and women and sleep patterns. I guess there are. Men snore more, don't they? Sounds like we don't really know. <laughs> Sounds like a cue to move on. Um, well, if this study is indeed correct, it seems like anyone visiting King Charles III's Highgrove estate will be up all night with this next story. Yes, from the Metro. Charles puts turkey back on the Christmas menu with vegan dishes disappearing. King Charles III's Highgrove estate put turkey back on the Christmas menu this year with no mention of veganism on display. The monarch returned to a more traditional fare after conjuring up a range of imaginative plant-based dishes the previous festive season. The word vegan and the VG abbreviation, which we used last time around, did not appear on the 2023 lunch menu. Last year, three vegan dishes came with the relevant symbol a starter of celeriac and truffle soup, a main of pan-fried roots and chestnut cake, and a comfy pineapple pudding. At the time, the Prince's Foundation said the menu offered sustainable dishes characteristic of the Cotswolds and drew on the rich larder offered by Hivegrove Gardens and the many brilliant local farmers and producers. Maisie Steadman, a spokesperson for the Vegan Society, said King Charles has long been an advocate for the environmental issues and it would have been great to see some more environmentally conscious options on the Christmas menu at Highgrove Estate. 
Anthony, probably not somewhere we'd be looking to dine anyway, but still, it seems a shame. Um, yes, fewer vegan options somewhere is a shame. Am I surprised? Definitely not. Definitely not. I got really, really cross in May when there were loads of vegan news outlets saying how brilliant a vegan advocate King Charles III was. Absolutely not. It's people just hoping that he's on our side. Of course he's not. Of course he's not. Look how much is tied up in his game and, and all, all those things like that on his estates. Yeah, it's a shame there's no vegan options. Shows actually what people's priorities are. Also, I think we need to get things in perspective. Like you say, there was only one starter, one main and one dessert last year. So they've only lost, they've only dropped one vegan option per course, really, haven't they? It's not like the whole menu is plant-based. If, if you were if you were the spokesperson for the Vegan Society, would, would you have been as mild-mannered as that, saying, oh, we thought King Charles was a very good environmental advocate. This is disappointing. Or would you be more inclined to be a bit more aggressive? I wish I could say I'd be a bit aggressive, but knowing me, I probably wouldn't. I did have a look on the Highgrove website, though, and they did have one vegan option for all on all of their menus, I think. So that's... For, for their regular menu, yeah, the non-Christmas one. So that's pretty good. I think there was more than one option, actually, for, for like, maybe the mains. There were two vegan options. They did vegan afternoon tea as well. Yeah, so that... So they're brilliant! They're vegan champions! We love you, Highgrove! Looking for the silver linings. Yeah. And it said that all their profits go to charity. Really? Yeah, it did. Oh, that's good. Yeah, but it doesn't say what charity. It's oh. the King's Royal Grouse Shooting Fund, yeah. I reckon. Who knows, but... It's not really news, is it? Well, it was It was um, on the Metro's website on Christmas Day. I didn't look on Christmas Day. I was looking a few days afterwards. But yeah, it's the kind of thing that makes up for a quiet news day, perhaps. What does that say about this week's podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Anthony, I can see you're getting cross talking about King Charles. Let's move on to talk about a slightly less controversial character, shall we? Good idea. From GB News, Nigel Farage no! to go vegan. <laughs> now, don't get too excited. This is classic clickbait, I'm afraid, as the story soon reveals. GB News star, Nigel Farage, will go vegan for one meal. One whole meal. He'll still have some salmon in his pocket. As he bids to learn more about the lifestyle, the arrangement came about during a discussion with Peter campaigner Margarita Suchkova, who invited Nigel out for a vegan lunch. She joined Farage on GB News to discuss a new United Nations report calling on people to halve their meat consumption. She went on to suggest that Farage ditches bacon and milk for plant-based alternatives, which the GB News star branded horrible. Sachkova hit back by suggesting Nigel joins her for a meal, claiming she would be able to showcase the best vegan cuisine. You've never tried good stuff, probably, she said. Let me take you to lunch to this fantastic Soho vegan restaurant. I guarantee you will have a change of heart. Now, Farage admitted he has never been taken to a vegan lunch. The former Brexit party leader admitted, however, to finding some forms of farming repulsive, as he found common ground with his debating partner. I don't think if you look after animals properly, it's cruel intensive farming some of it i do find repulsive i genuinely do he said probably eating a little bit less meat is a healthy thing to do but i want milk in my tea and i'm never going to change my point of view on that but i tell you what i will do i will take you up on an offer of a vegan lunch i will do it i never thought i would do it i've just agreed live on air to go for a vegan meal we will do it in the first few weeks of the year and i'll come back to say how the experience was 
I don't break my word is the last sentence of the article. More on that in a moment. Alex, we watched the video. What were your initial thoughts on this? Obviously a big fan of Nigel Farage. <laughs> Shush. Well, firstly, I just want to... Margarita was fantastic. Yeah, like, she was she, great. She didn't back down. She just said what she needed to say, and I really appreciated that. I actually... Now, oh, you're going to hate me for this, but I I think possibly a controversial opinion. I was kind of expecting Nigel to be a bit more like Piers Morgan when he doesn't let somebody else get a word in talking about veganism. But actually, he, he let her say what she wanted to say. And he was looking at both sides of the argument, I think, a little bit. He was open to what she had to say, I felt. I'm going to give it a hot take on this mm-hmm. I think this was pre-arranged there was just something about the way the conversation flowed you're right he didn't interrupt her particularly much he was he was letting her say her piece and actually he was making a lot of concessionary points he was he was seeing both sides of things a lot more than you'd normally expect him to now I believe he was hosting the show if he was a guest perhaps he would be his normal bullish self but there was just something about it that made me think that they'd prearranged, oh, let's let's argue for a bit and then you invite me out for a meal and I'll say yes and then I'll go, oh, I can't believe it, I've agreed to go out for a vegan meal. Do, do you think there's anything to that? Yeah, now you've said it. That, that would make much more sense than what I was thinking was that he was just being kind of nice. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if it wasn't prearranged... He was incredibly, incredibly controlling of the arrangement in that she said it. And then he said, yes, yes, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it early in the year and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's like, hang on, mate. She's not said when she wants to do it. So if they've not prearranged it, he's been incredibly pushy and just deciding what's happening. Obviously, it's clickbait. I mean, in a sense, if you let's pretend it's not been prearranged, which I think if I had to put money on it, I'd say it was. It's quite a good piece of conversation, like two people with different opinions saying, okay, well, let's reserve judgment. Let's let's learn a bit more about this. Let's not just dig our heels in. Yeah, and that's kind of what... I, I think that's the conversation we want moving forward. I mm. feel like we both need to listen to each other's sides even if we do disagree with one another. Even if it means taking Nigel Farage out for lunch? Hey, I don't have to do it. That's <laughs> someone else's problem. <laughs> We'll leave that to Margarita. I did just want to uh, fact check Mr. Farage because the last sentence in the piece was, I don't break my word. I'm just going to go to um, a news article that was published a few hours after Brexit was announced. Nigel Farage has admitted that it was a mistake to promise the £350 million a week that would be spent on the NHS if the UK backed a Brexit vote. Speaking just an hour after the Leave vote was confirmed, the UKIP leader said that the money could not be guaranteed. We, we, you know, we all make mistakes. We all break our promises. But come on, Nigel. Oh, I remember that. That was just bad. <laughs> anyway, possible sidetrack and uh, step back into history there. Let's move on. We've still got lots to get through. Now, the rest of our show is going to be quite movie related, starting with this next one from Alex. Plant-based news, vegan commercial to air before the new Wonka movie. For what's thought to be the first time ever, a vegan commercial will air before a major Hollywood film at movie theatres across the United States. The commercial from Eat Differently will be shown before the new Wonka film in 1,800 movie theatres. 
Directed by BAFTA winner Alex Lockwood, it encourages people to adopt a plant-based diet. In the new film, Wonka, played by Timothy Chalamet, puts a new spin on the iconic Pure Imagination song. Building on that theme, the commercial asks viewers to imagine a world where people eat plants, not animals. Anthony and I have both watched the commercial, but for those of you who haven't, let's hear it now. There are artists who think differently, who realise that thinking beyond the box often means dismantling the cage, who know that embracing creative freedom means nothing without granting freedom for all, who understand that the greatest form of human expression isn't found in the spotlight or in grandiosity, but in the simple act of compassion. There are those that think and eat differently. Anthony, what did you think? I thought it was a, a great commercial, a great little film. Um, I think the one thing I'd say could have been better is that it, it was showing vegan musicians and actors, but it wasn't necessarily obvious that they were vegan actors and musicians. I only knew that because I knew who they were and I knew that they happened to be vegan. But I think most people watching that wouldn't go, oh, look, it's um, Billie Eilish. She's vegan. Oh, look, it's Stevie Wonder, you know? Yeah, I didn't clock that until you just pointed it out. Yeah, so I, I think that would have been a nice little bit of text that they maybe could have added at the end or, or, or something like that. But otherwise, it's nice and simple. Not the most hard-hitting, but it plants a seed, doesn't it? Yeah, it gets you thinking, doesn't it? And I, I don't know about you, but like often when I go to the cinema, watching a film, being immersed in it, like it gets my imagination going. And I think, in a sense that's one of the most lucid or most receptive times my imagination and my possibilities and future planning and things like that are in my brain. So that's a really good time to be putting forward the possibilities of a new lifestyle, a new way of living your life, a new way of eating, much more so than, I don't know, going to the football or going and doing your shopping. I think there are times in life where we're kind of more receptive to change and I'd say the start of a film in a cinema yeah, that is that is very true. And also, I think you just need to sprinkle these bits of consider veganism as a thing just throughout life. And, and the message kind of is slowly seeping in, I reckon. Yeah, well, <laughs> to something that is very much not taking that approach from what we've seen, <laughs> our last story is from Unchained TV, The Next Girl Female Vegan Filmmaker's Powerful New Movie. Now, this has been released this week. We are going to review this on the show, and we've put a link in the show notes to both the trailer and the full movie. It's free to watch online, a 15-minute film, and it is very, well, not seen the full thing yet, but the trailer looks very powerful and definitely not subtle. 
The story reads, an all-female team of vegan filmmakers has created a groundbreaking, award-winning 15-minute film titled The Next Girl that is now streaming on Unchained TV. So V-Kind Studios have produced the poignant 15-minute film. is described as an intense and shocking film starring the captivating actress and vegan activist Jamie Logan and brilliantly directed by Tara Bennett-Smith. Lisa De Crescente, the original screenplay writer, and Star Simmons are the executive producers. In a world where humanity is running out of time to solve the many global injustices characteristic of our modern era, The Next Girl is an example of where filmmaking is heading, using fiction to make big points about the real world and all the inhabitants in it of whatever species. Alex, it looked really powerful, didn't it? Yeah, it didn't hold back at all, did it? It was. It felt like a horror film. Yeah, I mean, do you want to describe a little bit of what we saw in the in the short trailer? It basically had a a girl being treated as an animal. She was was she naked? She was chained up. She was being. I think she maybe had something on her top. She was being like led into uh, the back of a truck, I think, at the start, and then at one point she was trying to just eat whatever food she could off the ground like she was she was in chains as well i think wasn't she yeah yeah it's um there are warnings at the start of the film saying not not suitable for minors like mature themes but we've we've deliberately at this point not watched the film because we will be reviewing it on the show but um i mean having seen the trailer like are you intrigued to watch it or did it look a bit too much for you no, I'm I'm intrigued to watch it. It couldn't be more different from the pure imagination one that we uh, we watched, could it? No, it couldn't. And I guess all these different forms of media will appeal to different people and will get through to different people in different ways. But yeah, the the links in the show notes if you want to just check out the trailer. There's nothing in mm, I don't want to say there's nothing in the trailer that's upsetting because actually it's even the trailer itself it didn't is hold quite back. Yeah. Yeah, not not for sensitive viewers, I would say. Takes all sorts. We'll be interested to see what uh, what people's thoughts are on that one. Right, that brings us to all ten stories covered. So before we head to our review of Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, another type of uh, animal advocacy, arguably, or is it? A question to all of you listening: What are your thoughts on this week's news? Do you feel let down by Denmark? Or have Oatly given you hope? And are you now inspired to invite your extremely right-wing neighbour, work colleague or family member to a vegan restaurant next month? Is there anything we've missed? Or in fact, got completely wrong? Let us know your opinions. Indeed, we'd love to hear from you. And just a reminder, if you spot news or articles that you think would catch our interest, get in touch with us by email at enoughofthefalafel at gmail.com. We're also Enough of the Falafel on Facebook, Instagram or TikTok where you can get little sneak previews on the news we're covering in each episode. Give us a follow. Or don't, it's up to you. This show is kindly sponsored by our friends at Fire & Flow Coffee Roasters. And they're such great people. They're offering all Enough of the Falafel listeners a cheeky 10% off orders on their online store when using the code FALAFEL10. That's FALAFEL, the number 10. Fire and Flow, a specialty coffee roastery based in the Cotswold with a fully vegan coffee shop on site. Yeah, they're a vegan founded company too. They're run by three friends, Shah, Callum and Phil. 
and they specialize in roasting and supplying wholesale coffee beans to coffee shops, restaurants, hotels, and offices. For the wholesale part of their operations, they work with other businesses to help them get the most out of their coffee offering, with free barista training and full technical support included. The products themselves are the result of their passion for working with skilled and ethical-minded farmers who produce the highest quality beans. Fire and Flow then roast them to perfection in small batches at their roastery in Sirencester, which you can visit at any time, book onto one of their barista courses or roastery tours via their website, fireandflowcoffee.co.uk. While you're there, you can check out the beautiful, fully vegan coffee shop on site. I've been there myself. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's open seven days a week from nine till three. The last time I went, it was a Sunday afternoon. It was glorious. It's just a fab place to hang out and feel good about life. Give them a follow on Instagram to get the latest at Fire and Flow Coffee. And for those online orders, remember the code exclusively for our brilliant Enough of the Falafel community. That is Falafel10. 10. 10 is 1 and 0. So Falafel10. Welcome back. So as you'll have seen from the title of this episode, we are going to be discussing the latest chicken run film, The Dawn of the Nugget. I'm joined by Alex and Pew Pew, the Brazilian petroleum goose. (laughs) Um, So we both watched the film. Um, it as have lots of people. It's currently number one on Netflix, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Over the over the holiday period in this country, anyway. I'm not not sure about abroad, but it's got a lot of publicity and it's got a lot of coverage in vegan news outlets, people's social media accounts, things like that, hailing it as this really big animal rights centric movie is it fair to say you you've seen things like that too alex like it's not just my social media feed yes it's all articles saying will this turn people vegan and things like that so before we discuss the question like is this new film a real vegan game changer let's just quickly go over the rough outline of the film so there are going to be spoilers so there's there was originally the first chicken run film i want to say like late 90s it was about the millennium wasn't it yes yeah um so that's a load of chickens escaping a conventional chicken farm this is the sequel they are they're on an island aren't they yes the island they've escaped to from the first film yeah, and they've brought up a, a the the main protagonist, uh, Ginger and Rocky, a chicken couple, yeah. a, a hen and a rooster. Uh, they've got a child, um, and the child's been brought up on this island, so it's never experienced living on a farm. But uh, Molly, she's called, isn't she? She climbs up a tree one day, sees what's beyond the island, and says, oh, I want to go beyond the island. I want to see what's out there in the real world. And her parents say no you don't want to go there but then one day she does the adult chickens see that there's trucks that are going to farms don't they they see that yeah well this is this is one of the weirder bits of the film i would say it it's like there are trucks driving around the mainland collecting chickens from the woods and taking them to a farm and they have a picture on the truck of a happy chicken inside a bucket Yes, and basically the the child, Molly, the innocent child who's never known anything other than living on this chicken idyll of an island, goes to the mainland, ends up 
in this farm that of course is horrible and then a whole series of escapes and counter escapes and plots unfold the main premise of the farm itself is that happy chickens who are willingly going to their death taste better isn't it yes and molly's drawn in by the advertising of the happy chickens that are on the trucks yes so the the truck and the accompanying posters are all showing this farm being a wonderful beautiful place that's what attracts her and her friend who has a scouse accent and i can't remember frizzle Frizzle, i knew you'd remember it they go to this happy looking farm turns out to be horrible and all the chickens are kind of brainwashed they wear these collars that brainwash them into thinking that they want to walk up the escalator and straight into the the grinding machinery that ends their life um, they're brainwashed into thinking they want to do that. Uh, the scientific theory being that if they are happy and willingly go to their death, then they will taste better. And let's not reveal any more than... No, we will have to, won't we? <laughs> um, We've basically spoiled it all anyway. Yeah, that's fine. We said there would be spoilers. <laughs> but yeah, basically, there's lots of escapes and plots and you think they've escaped, but then they go back to help more people, es- more chickens escape and there is a happy ending at at the end because the farm is destroyed and they return to their island, basically. Basically, that's a good summary. Excellent. So you don't need to watch it now. (laughs) But is it a game changer from a vegan perspective? I should say we very nearly watched this with Alex's family who are not vegan and that would have been a very interesting experience. Yes, it would. But we didn't do that. that. (laughs) We watched it together (laughs) in our own little vegan bubble. So you start us off, Alex. Like, what did you think about the film from an animal rights perspective? So I think one of the at first I was a bit annoyed because it has this farm that actually doesn't look anything like a farm. Mm. It looks like this big bad guy's lair, which I can understand from a filmmaking perspective, but from an animal rights perspective. It not looking like a farm kind of doesn't work. Yeah, and to be clear, you you mean the actual farm that they end up at because there's the poster that makes it look like this really happy place, but then when they get there, not only is it not a really happy place, but it looks completely stereotypically bad guy lair. Yeah, it, it doesn't much. even look like a normal farm. It doesn't look like a farm. Like a hundred times worse. But saying that though, I feel like the the moral message of an animal probably doesn't want to go to its death does come across in the film um even though it's sort of done in a cartoony way yeah i think that comes across too i think i feel a bit weird about that though because clearly most of the people producing the film do still eat chickens so it it feels really weird to me that they're still producing this film saying look animals don't want to go to their deaths but we're still going to eat them i mean a lot of the voice actors are vegan. Yeah, and the director of the film went vegetarian during the film, um, during the making of the film. Whether or not he's still vegetarian, I don't know. So it's, it's having an effect on the people working on it. I guess the main question is, would somebody who's never really thought much about veganism watch this film and really have a change of heart or start considering things? No, I don't think so. And I I had a look online at what people were saying and I think there were a lot of kids' responses that were along the lines of, I'm still going to eat chicken, but it was a good film. Yeah. But I do think it's, again, just... It's just putting the thoughts out there 
And it's just saying, it's putting the thoughts out there and just making you think about the the moral of the story, I think. Yeah, I think for, for me, I was <laughs> I was really hoping for a completely well-rounded, perfect from start to finish piece of vegan advocacy. And it's not that. It's not. There, there are flaws in it. There are contradictions in it. There are uh, kind of moral inconsistencies in the film. But there's a lot of the arguments that we would use as vegans or the points that we would draw people to as vegans littered throughout the film. So although it's not walking you from the start to the perfect destination, it's dropping in lots of bits, isn't it? So we've already mentioned the fact that animal agriculture will advertise itself in one way, but then the reality looks very different. That's mentioned several times. The fact that animals don't want to go to their death, that's that's a key tenet of the film. One one thing that I'm disappointed was mentioned quite a lot was free range. And in fact, one of the advertising slogans for the film is live free range or die frying, which is a clever pun. But actually, I don't like the way that free range is being used there because actually it's suggesting that free range is is the optimal state for chickens to be in. But actually what what the red tractor and what the RSPCA calls free range is not a position that I want chickens to be living in. Yeah, and I wonder if that's just adults might not see through it. As a, I know a lot of people who think free range is a good thing, but I know for children, free range is almost, it seemed as this just sort of dreamlike thing where animals are running around and then eventually get um, turned into meat. Like that's a turned into meat. That's yeah. not the right phrase. Well, well I, I actually think to, to kind of answer our earlier question of like, is this going to turn loads of people vegan? I actually think it's going to persuade a lot of people to eat more free range chicken genuinely i think it's a great advert for free range chicken yes that's true actually the irony of course being that free range is just as much as the as the happy what was it called like a happy clappy farm or whatever it was called in the film but but nonetheless there were lots of bits of animal rights advocating that happen throughout the film and actually i was if you think of how chickens are generally seen by the population, I think people generally see them as a bit stupid. Yeah, you're you're called a chicken if you're scared. Yeah, and I was looking for examples of that in the film, and there weren't that. Now, obviously, they they're anthropomorphized and they're made to seem like they're humans, which is is not correct either. You know, chickens are chickens, <laughs> and it's a shame that we have to make them look like humans to to be able to relate to them. But they didn't fall into that trap either. I think I would be glad if everyone in the country watched this film. Yeah? I think it nudges you further towards understanding animal rights. There are contradictions and there are complications that it adds. Like I say, I think it makes everyone think... It will make people think that free range is fine. But actually, would I rather everyone watch it or no one watch it? Like, what would you say? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it, it's just that. It's, it's it's just slightly nudging people. And I think that's what we kind of want for, for veganism. It's just gentle nudges. Well, do you think, for example, it's going to be a lot easier to start a conversation about veganism through this film than trying to get someone in your family or who you work with to watch a hard-hitting documentary? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, I think... It was a few episodes ago where you were talking about how to speak to kids about um, 
what happens to animals and actually this is a is a gentle introduction to animal rights i well i think so it covers it covers the topics doesn't it yeah i think i think we have to be careful because i think we've got to be clear that this film as far as i'm aware has not been produced by people deliberately wanting to put forward an animal rights message that's not their intention with the film no i haven't found anything saying that there's been a lot of people doing what we're doing saying hey this has got a lot of potential to introduce and develop animal rights understanding and a lot of people but i think because it's not come from that place we've got to be very careful before we start saying hey just watch this film and that'll do everything you need yeah no it definitely won't do everything you need no there's 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 contradictions and there's there's bits that need a bit more explaining but actually there's there's enough in there that you can say well actually a lot of the voice actors were vegan and what did you think about this idea that that animals don't want to die and what do you think about this idea that actually animal agriculture makes things look one way but actually in reality it's really different can i ask you a question please do what do you think farmers will think about this i mean we should ask some um so if i if i was a farmer yeah and this came out well like i say i think it it kind of gives the green light for free range so if you've got that free range label then in a sense you can just be like well yeah see free range is the way to go i mean it doesn't in a sense it really doesn't answer the question what what do we do about the fact that animals don't want to die no it it doesn't answer that at all does it and actually the film's response is don't worry everyone like the chicken run family is traveling from farm to farm now busting people out I keep calling them people, which shows how much they're anthropomorphised, busting chickens out, like they're saving all the animals from farms. But that's a question that it doesn't it did, doesn't deal with. And I, th- I, th- I think another theme that comes up, maybe it's just me missing, reading too much into things, but when you've got the two parents, Rocky and Ginger, they are not being honest with their child about what goes on in the real world. When Molly's saying like, oh, but what happens on the island? Oh, no, you don't need to see that. You, you you don't need to go there. And in a sense, that's what happens with farming, isn't it? So that's that's another thing that, again, it's in the film and you could you could use it to to advocate on behalf of animals with, with somebody who's who's watched the film. Like if, if you were a farmer and this film came out, like would would you feel threatened by it, do you think? No, I don't think so. I would just increase my free range output, I think. Yeah, most farmers are quite busy. They've not got time to watch Netflix <laughs> on Boxing Day, I think. <laughs> but we should point out that Fries have teamed up with Chicken Run and, and have special Chicken Run nuggets. Indeed. So the vegan farmers aren't threatened. We the- can say that for sure. <laughs> yeah. They're teaming up for them. And in fact, the founder of uh, VFC, Matthew Clover, is gone on the record saying it's it's a really groundbreaking film i mean maybe that should be the last last question that we try and deal with here like how much of a big deal is this because on the one hand we're saying we should be cautious before getting too overexcited but on on the other hand it's number one on netflix at christmas yeah and that's fantastic isn't it i i wonder how many people have watched this film I mean, there'll there'll be loads. Like, if you don't mind me saying, like your brother who's not vegan, like he came up to us on Boxing Day and said, "Shall we all watch this film?" Yeah, we should have said yes. We should have said yes. What a missed opportunity! Call ourselves vegan advocates. 
But like, it, how much of a big deal do you think it is? Like, should should we be getting as excited as other vegan news outlets are and saying this this is massive, this is groundbreaking? Peter have probably given it a vegan movie award already. I don't think we should. It is it is fantastic. I wouldn't say it's groundbreaking. I think it's just a, a nudge in the right direction, and it's a, I mean a bit like the Guardians of the Galaxy film that came out. Um, that, oh, the third, the third one. Yeah, and that had it had animals in cages, and it was breaking them out of being experimented on and stuff like that. And it's just it's nice to see these themes in modern films. I don't see it very often. So you've seen both of those films. Which one would you? If you could only show one film to somebody purely with the purpose of advocating on behalf of animals, which would you show? Guardians of the Galaxy 3 or Chicken Run 2? It would maybe depend on their age. I think Guardians of the Galaxy had... It was it was quite... Some of the scenes were, like, quite sad. It showed animals being hurt and things like that. Whereas... And it was really quite emotional with it. And, like... Whereas Chicken Run, I think, is just... It's just good for kids and it's introducing kids to these kind of themes. Is there an argument that because Guardians of the Galaxy was kind of looking at animal testing, whereas this is looking at animals for food, this is arguably impacting more animals? Like if you can change what people eat. Yes, that's true. I mean, I I asked the question because I'm trying to, you know, we're saying, should we make a big deal of this or not? I can't think of a bigger film in terms of the impact it's had since maybe like Okja, and that was 2017. But even that, I, I think if, if you said to me now, like, do you want to show people Okja or do you want to show people Chicken Run 2? I'd show them this because I think that maybe it's just a cultural thing in this country, but like Ardman Animations and Nick Park and like all that studio, like they're so well loved, like Wallace and Gromit, and like they're really well loved. Like if you say Chicken Run, what do you think of Chicken Run? What do you think of Wallace and Gromit? People love it. And really, if you say to most people, what do you think of vegans? What do you think of veganism? That It's almost completely the opposite response. And I think, although it's not vegans who are pushing the message, it's an imperfect message. But, like, it it really does a good job, I think. I'd give it, like, from a vegan advocacy point of view, I'd give it a solid, like, 7 or 8 out of 10. But who's not going to watch this? Most people are going to watch this, surely. Or would be happy to. Yeah, that's very true. Do you think it would have the same impact if it was made by vegans and it had vegans somewhere in the title? Absolutely not. No, no, people wouldn't watch it at all, would they? No, they wouldn't. It'd just be us. (laughs) It'd just just be the vegans watching it, which is something that we're hearing more and more is that word puts people off. And I, I, I still think we should use it in certain circumstances but you're right I'd I'd still rather that the film was made by vegans because I think there are a few contradictions in the film that it would be it would be good to avoid but then maybe as vegans we get too carried away and we make the we make the message too too on the nose for people we're too forthright with with it well I mean change has to go at the at the rate that people are ready for it Mm. arguably yeah that's true I mean it's really I would say at the start of the year if you said to me, this film is going to come out, there's going to be a Chicken Run sequel, and here are the themes it's going to cover. It's going to cover animal rights, it's going to cover the misleading animal agriculture industry, it's going to cover all these themes, and it's going to be number one at Netflix by the end of the year. I'd, I'd have taken that. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's a win for us, isn't it? 
before we recommend it wholeheartedly, because I think I think we are pretty much universally behind it, there were certain things in the film that I was surprised it was a you. Let's put it that way, or maybe I'm just a bit naive in terms of what what gets made a you classification these days. But there's a bit where a chicken's just walking to its death, and you see it die, and then you see it be eaten. There's a bit where all the characters are sat in a corn silo about to be ground up. Like there's quite a lot of peril. Yeah, and I think especially the chicken walking to its death, like as someone who has eaten chicken, like that's kind of relatable. Like the chicken doesn't know it's going to its death. It thinks it's just going somewhere good. And it did just make me think of kind of all the animals that don't know what's happening to them, but they are going going to die. And actually that's quite a... A strong message to have in the film I think it is and actually it's turned into food and is eaten by a man who makes a joke that we're all expected to laugh at within seconds thereafter doesn't he because he really likes the taste of the food and he sort of says oh mummy or something like <laughs> yes, that and does. it's it, that's that's a laughter cue and this is what I mean about the contradictions I mean we're yes. making two points here one is actually that's quite an upsetting scene and I'm surprised that things like that are allowed in a you but it's 2023 so these things generally are aren't they but also it's that's an example of where I think if there were a completely vegan production crew, directors, people funding it, that scene wouldn't have happened in that way, would it? No, or it instead of a joke coming after it, maybe would have just had a moment of silence to let you reflect on the fact that something did just die. Yeah, yeah. And th- there, are, there are a few moments where there's a, a kind of lighter look at the fact that chickens are food. I think there's one of the characters said it's we're just so unfortunate to be born as these creatures that the whole world just finds so delicious. And that again it's it's like a laughter point, isn't it? We're meant yeah. to find this funny. It's like, no, that's sick. That's sick. Like imagine that's you. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest of the world wants to eat you. But still the the line's there. People can interpret it how they want. How did you feel about the bit that was like an infographic that was made for the man who was who was coming in so i can't remember what his name was but he was coming in from the other industry wanting to try this new chicken sir eat a lot sir eat a lot that wasn't his name that was the brand <laughs> sir eat a lot was shown a video mm. that was showing kind of cartoonized even more cartoonized chickens being happy about being killed and then eaten how did i feel about the notion that they're putting forward or the way in which it was shown I, I I think when I watched it I just felt like this this is how this is how farms are shown to us in that animals are all happy to be there well I again I think the premise of the story is you've got this farm that is discovered that if they can make the chickens feel happy then things are much better and I'm waiting as a vegan I'm waiting for that message to be contradicted and I don't feel like it was no I I don't think it was, actually. Because, actually, from a scientific point of view, in the film, in the film's universe, the science was correct. The chicken did taste nicer. And we don't really have an answer to the question of, well, what do we do about the fact that animals don't want to die then? No, it doesn't really approach that, does it? No. It shows the chickens standing up for themselves, whereas in reality they're not going to do that. 
Yes, so it opens the door for a viewer to go, well, if any chickens really, if any chickens put up a fight, I won't eat them. Yeah. <laughs> but but all, to all the other stupid submissive ones, they're, they're fair game. Pardon the pun. Hey. hey. Did you think that they were going to kill the baddie? Because she gets knocked into the the machine that kills and minces up and breads and cooks the chicken into nuggets. Yet she she goes in there and comes out alive. I was waiting for her to be killed and to go, well, that's not a very compassionate message. Why are people saying this is such a pro-vegan <laughs> film? Is it compassionate that she doesn't get killed? I mean, it just sets it up for a third film, doesn't it? Well, I mean, that's the number one number well, one rule of films now, isn't it? Don't kill the villain. Well, saying that, though, I thought she died in the first one because that's what happens in the first one. She falls into the machine. Yeah. But she 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 stayed alive somehow. Yeah, she's tough. She's tough. she's from the she's north. A, she's a tough old bird. <laughs> hey. Good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting that the film feel, finds it okay to kill a chicken and the chicken to be eaten on screen, but it doesn't want to kill the baddie. Yes, that's a very good point. But like you say, they're not doing that so that she can stay alive, ready for ready for a chicken run three. Which will be in another 20 years' time. <laughs> yes. And we'll take another cautious step towards animal rights, but not not too much. Oh, imagine, though, if they do it, but then it's not just chickens. They go around saving pigs. They do the whole thing. Yeah. Well, let's hope in 20 years' time there's not a need <laughs> for Chicken Run 3. And oh, people will go, oh, look at those Chicken Run films. How, how quaint in the time that we used to eat animals. Okay, well, let's leave things there, shall we? So a question for all of you listening right now. Have you seen the latest Chicken Run film? Is it indeed the perfect opportunity to start awkward conversations with family, friends, neighbours, colleagues, Nigel Farage? Or is it the classic trope of vegans clutching at straws, or even clucking at straws, and getting overexcited by the tiniest of hints of animal rights? in the mainstream enough of the falafel at gmail.com is our email address and we're on insta tiktok and facebook at enough of the falafel right we're almost at the end of the episode now thank you anthony for your contributions today not at all and and you too alex it's been fantastic to have you on the show anytime and i know you've been working on some special episodes that are about to air aren't they yeah absolutely so as mentioned on the 25th december we released the big vegan quiz of the year that is available to listen to and play along with tomorrow if you're listening to this show on the day it airs the 31st of december we have got our 2023 news review of the year awards with myself and kate and then throughout january three episodes a week throughout january hopefully got a couple more interviews to do we have got the going vegan series which is covering um 12 different people on their vegan journeys transitions what led them to do it what they found difficult what helped them through really great conversations so look out for that in your podcast feed i've had a sneak peek of these upcoming shows and i've got to say they are so good i can't i can't wait to uh I can't wait to hear more of them. Indeed. Well, Dom's Dom's the first one on the 1st of January. You've definitely heard that one, haven't you? Yeah, he was just fantastic. I want to invite him over for dinner. Anyway, that's enough of the flaffle from us this week. Thank you for everyone listening. I've been Alex. And I've been Anthony. And this has been episode 16 of Vegan Week. <laughs> <laughs>